0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Michael's Mixdown. Michael's Mixdown is a show about music, recording techniques, the history thereof, and all things audio. So, if that sounds like your jam, then come on in here and jam with me today. Uh, Today, I'm going to be talking about uh, one of my favorite bands, one of my uh, most influential bands, I think, uh, especially in my formative years, my early teenage years, and stuff, is uh, Counting Crows. And I actually have a very special guest with me today. I have Adam Duritz, the lead singer of Counting Crows, um, joining me today on Michael's Mixdown. So, hey, Adam, uh, it's nice to have you on the show, man. We're going
1: to start off with just Dave and I.
0: Well, actually, it's Michael, uh, you know, of Michael's Mixdown. Down. So uh, how long have you been in town? <laughs> Oh good. Uh do you like it here?
2: Yeah.
0: So uh what have you been up to since you got here?
1: We spent all day getting sober, just hiding from daylight, watching TV. Huh.
0: Well it sounds like you don't get out much. I've
1: been falling around this whole town
0: well, maybe it's uh, time for a change of scenery. Uh, if you could go anywhere, uh where would you go? Omaha. Oh really? Uh where is that at?
1: Somewhere in the
0: middle America. So what's in Omaha?
1: All my and lovers.
0: all in one town, huh? Well, well, uh, I think it's about time to wrap this up. Do uh, you want to do that thing that you like to do where you narrate yourself leaving the room? So
1: I gave up my seat at the bar, and I head for the
0: door. Okay, what a weird guy. Um, anyway, let's uh, get into the show proper now. Um, today's episode is about counting crows. Uh, like I said, not to be mixed up with the black crows. Baby, here I am, on no, no, no! You, you get out of here. This is about counting crows. Yeah, you tell them, Adam. Um, uh, anyway, like I was saying, this is a episode about counting crows, um, and it's also counting crows, uh, not the counting crows. It's kind of like eagles, but you know, most people just say the the at the beginning anyway. But I just wanted to stress that in case you were wondering, like, oh, did he get it wrong or something? But anyway, um, let's get into the the show actual proper now. Um, I did some goofy stuff here at the beginning because I think I'm going to get kind of real uh, later on, um, talk about some experiences, and so I wanted something funny to balance that out. Um, so, yeah, if I bum you out by the end, then, you know, come back around here by the, the top again and listen and laugh at my, my goofy self uh, And then maybe, maybe we all won't be so bummed out, but, uh, (laughs) Counting Crows kind of, kind of bums me out, um, in a weird, uh, nostalgic way, but, uh, let's, let's dive into that. I'm going to talk about the first three albums basically here today. Um, I am going to do some skipping around for the, the sake of time, because if I talked about every song on all three albums, this would probably end up turning into like a two or three hour episode. So, um. Let's get started with the first album that Counting Crows ever put out, August and Everything After. So August and Everything After was released in 1993. Uh, They did a special edition re-release in 2007, which kind of infuriates me because Spotify and some other streaming places um, have the release date as 2007, but it's 1993, so, um, they also had several albums you know between 1993 and 2007. So, their first album looks like it's actually like their fourth or fifth album, but that's not the case. It's the first album, uh, it, it received uh, two Grammy nominations, which is pretty good for an a entry level band that, that really had just hit the scene. Um, they, they were not at all uh famous. Before their first album, um, like some bands do some touring and they they get quite a bit of notoriety beforehand, but Counting Crows was relatively unknown uh, when this first album came out. And uh, they, they ended up with two Grammy nominations, but they didn't win anything. Um, they said that the music is almost always done first and then the lyrics are done after, almost entirely by Adam. Um, he said that the odd word here and there is contributed by one of the other band members, but he pretty much writes 99-plus percent of the lyrics. Adam, I think, is one of, I would say he's one of the, the most gifted songwriters, you know, lyric writers uh, that I've ever come across, at least in terms of being able to reach me and speak to me on a personal level. But... um and often when I talk about lyrics that I really like, I, I call them poetry because I try, try to elevate it into um, like a different category beyond just songwriting. But I found it interesting that Adam specifically says that songwriting and lyrics are not poetry, uh, but that they are in different categories. The first album was not the sound that Adam thought that the band could be. Uh, the They had a lot of what they were using and playing uh stripped down like the drum kit was downsized and a lot of the effects on the guitars were taken off to simplify things by the producers and, and uh, engineers but uh, this was difficult for the band because uh, they were so green at the time uh, a lot of bands when they first step into a studio and they don't have any clout or anything like that and a producer wants to do something they they kind of typically do it especially if that producer is uh, has clout or fame um, or especially if, um, like in this instance, like Geffen Records would have said, well, you're going to do what the producer wants. Um, so apparently they started getting the attention of record labels uh, by passing around a 15-song demo, which is pretty unusual. And a lot of times you'd only put like one or two songs, like your, your best, your very best stuff that you have, and they put like 15 songs on there. Uh, and There's not even 15 songs on August and everything after. And um, they basically got kind of famous amongst the record labels before they had ever even recorded a real song. Um, They ended up signing with Geffen uh, after taking a lot of bids. And they worked with T-Bone Burnett um, as a producer. And they moved into a house for nine months to record the first album. They did a Saturday Night Live appearance. Uh, which then launched their record to number four on the billboard, and suddenly they were one of the most successful groups in America. Uh, the band toured, but Adam didn't want to shoot any additional like mid- music videos or anything else, um, promo material, because he, he didn't want the band to get any more famous than it was getting. Um, he, he really resisted this like sudden uh, catapulting into stardom and he didn't want to uh, do things in the beginning to that would make him any more famous than he already was, uh, which is just kind of odd. A lot of singers and stuff just... He's kind of, uh, I don't know, the opposite of, I guess. So um, let's go ahead and take a crack at each track here on uh, August and Everything After and uh, some of my thoughts and some of the production and stuff. And... um I don't know, it's, it's a really it's a great album I pretty I pretty much like every uh, song on this album so uh, let's get started. So the first song on the album is round here. Now round here starts off mega quiet with like a little drone. Um, you can't really hear much until the guitar pops up on the left. Uh, it's a clean electric tone maybe with a little reverb. Uh, the organ drone. Uh, slowly gets louder. And then Adam's voice like cuts right through with this uh like unique sort of timbre that he has that I really like.
1: Step out the front door like a ghost into the fog where no one notices the contrast to white on white. And in between the moon and you angels get a better view of the crumbling Difference between wrong and right well, I walk in the air
0: This is the introduction to Counting Crows. This is basically their signature sound right here. It uh, kind of sets the tone for the rest of the album. Uh, and, and In ways, it sets the tone for the remainder of the, the albums that they'll, they're making to this day. Um, there's a little reverb on the vocal. Uh, later on, Adam's, revo- uh, Adam's vocal will become a really dry in production in the next couple of albums, but there's a little reverb here. Nothing uh, big or fancy or spectacular, really. The, then the drums and the bass don't exactly explode onto the scene, but they kind of like slide into the picture uh, as if wearing socks on a polished hardwood floor, just like zing, here they are. Um, nice verb on the drums, especially on the snare.
1: Maria came from Nashville with a suitcase in her hand. She says she'd like to meet a boy who looks like Elvis. And she walks along the edge of where the ocean meets the land, just like she's walking on a wire. It's
0: and then the bridge just kind of comes out of nowhere and has this different vibe. And then it all kind of settles in again. Um, It's not a huge dramatic shift, but it's just odd enough to grab your attention uh, and then it's gone as soon as it came. I like the little symbol here, um, the little symbol fill that's at about 3.20 um, in, and then at about uh, 3 minutes, 44 seconds, you finally get to hear Adam doing some belting, because uh, he's been fairly reserved uh, up until now.
1: But the girl on the car in the parking lot says, man, you should try to take a shot. Can't you see my wall? at the building Says she's thinking of jumping She says she's tired of life She must be tired of something
2: around here She's always on my mind
0: uh, The Hammond organ stays consistent and supports the sound like a pad underneath The song builds uh, energy up and then like dips again Uh, to just the vocal, the guitar on the left, and the organ for the last bit where it started with the organ slowly fading out like it faded in at the beginning. introduce us to one of Adam's many characters quote unquote that appear in his songs uh, over the next several albums this song is uh, the appearance of Maria who's probably the the biggest of the characters or the most most often mentioned maybe who we will later find out um, with some close listening is uh, Maria Potter which we will learn in Mrs. Potter's Lullaby in a few albums Anyway, lyrically, this song speaks to me about a person who is aware of all the problems in the world and all the problematic behaviors amongst their neighbors and the people around them, uh, but feeling distant and helpless to stop or solve those problems. The weight of the world is also crushing Maria, and the narrator can do nothing to save her. The narrator often in these songs is basically Adam, but um, I'll just say the the narrator (laughs) to... To maybe not put put Adam on such a, a pedestal because Adam also wrote um, or I guess said that that Maria is basically him, and that's what a lot of what happens to Maria is was what has been happening to him or thoughts that he had, and he's kind of expressing himself as Maria. But anyway, so the narrator um, can do nothing to save Maria. Uh, they feel lost in the fog, and they feel distant from Maria. Um, as though uh, she's through that door that he he sings about. And then here we hear, for the first time, Adam mentions a circus, uh, which will come back a lot, especially in Mrs. Potter's lullaby. Uh, and the tightrope motif will come back a lot. Uh, the idea between balancing between two lives is a common thing in Adam's uh, lyrics. Uh, this song really speaks to that. 90s angst that was like in every punk and grunge song uh, that was all over the radio but to me it speaks more maturely about what caused that angst Uh, it's like that post-teenage angst that never went away and matured into adulthood depression when Adam writes she's thinking of jumping off the building to me it implies that uh, Maria commits suicide er and the uh, narrator was not able to stop it from happening So the narrator must navigate the post-Maria world now. Near the end, Adam also writes for the first time about not being able to sleep, which is another common motif in his work. And uh, another common symptom of depression and other mental illnesses is uh, insomnia and not being able to sleep. Adam himself said um, that this song is uh, representative of his uh, early life as a musician. He was in a band called the Himalayans, and they had been performing this song. And at the time, he had other friends that were going on to become uh, successful, and they were carving out their names, so to speak. And he was doing odd jobs uh, that he hated all day so that he could be in a rock band at night. So that's where the idea of the edge and the tightrope or the wire comes from, because like, which side are you going to fall into the successful, boring nine-to-five life? or the artistic life with little or no money, but more fulfillment. Well, it turns out Adam kind of did a little bit of both.
2: Start
1: tearing the old man down Run past the heather and down to the old road Start turning the grain into the ground
0: Okay, so the second song is Omaha. It starts off with a nice big tom drum hits here. Uh, the guitar is still panned left and uh, an accordion, if I'm not mistaken. It's a really nice uh, bass line that kind of takes uh, center stage for me uh, while the guitar strums and the drums are fairly basic and steady. The occasional accordion or um, mandolin kind of sprinkle throughout the song Um I really like this song, actually, because it's it's very full sounding uh, from the darkness of the drums and the bass and then the brightness from the stringed instruments. And then the lyrics are largely uh, criticism of Christianity and most other modern religion and what they are uh, selling instead of what's important, the heart that matters.
1: In the middle of the night, there's an old man tra- Wanna walk on walk
0: So, the third song is Mr. Jones, and you probably came here for this one. Uh, this is by far Counting Crow's biggest hit and their most popular song. It's got a nice balance between the drums and the just past clean guitar tone uh, with a tambourine, too. Adam immediately brings you in with his storytelling and the lyrics. A slightly crunchier guitar creeps up on the left and then plays in unison with the cleaner guitar on the right. The drums and bass work well together to round out the low end, but Adam's vocal takes big center stage here. The crunchier guitar sometimes dips into like a tremolo effect, which Dave Bryson uses a lot in subsequent releases. But like I said, they'd kind of strip down uh, some of the tones and some of the effects and things that were going on. So uh, you'll hear hear a lot more tremolo later on uh, out of Dave Bryson. This song has the same kind of rise and fall type thing that was going on and around here, uh, but this song is more upbeat. There's background singers rounding out the upbeat vocals uh, in most of the song, and uh, lyrically, this song is about a young person that wants to be famous and successful and beautiful. Adam wrote these lyrics about somebody wanting to be a famous rock star, but he never intended to actually become one himself, or he didn't think that that would ever actually happen. Uh, and that irony is not lost on him, apparently, uh, because this happy-go-lucky dream of becoming rich and famous does not come back in his later works. In fact, he writes later about the laments and challenges he faced while becoming famous. Uh, Maria is mentioned here again doing some Spanish dances. I like to think that Maria is some kind of beautiful senorita, but perhaps Maria can be whatever Adam needs her to be in any given song. Um, we also hear Adam's use of colors for the first time here um, in the lyrics, paint my picture, paint myself in blue, red and black and gray. All of the beautiful colors are very, very meaningful. Um, I think this is more of a message that he's going to use color a lot. But the point here is that Adam often makes certain to point out the color of something. Uh, here's what Adam has to say about the lyrics. Uh, it's a pretty literal story to something that happened to him, and how he was feeling early in his career before Counting Crows. It's really a song about my friend Marty and I. We went out one night to watch his dad play. Uh, His dad was a flamenco guitar player who lived in Spain, and he was in San Francisco in the Mission playing with his old flamenco troupe. And after the gig, we all went out to this bar called the New Amsterdam in San Francisco on Columbus, and we got completely drunk. And Marty and I sat at the bar staring at these two girls, wishing there was some way we could go talk to them, but we were just too shy. We kept joking with each other that if we were big rock stars instead of such loser, low-budget musicians, this would be easy. I went home that night and I wrote a song about it. And uh, he also wrote, but it's also kind of a cautionary tale because it's about how misguided you may be about some of those things and how hollow they may be too like the character in the song keeps saying when everybody loves me I will never be lonely and you're supposed to know that that's not how it's going to be Next up is Perfect Blue Buildings.
1: Just down the street from your hotel.
0: Baby. After the high of Mr. Jones, most people think that Counting Crows is an upbeat 90s rocker band, uh, but then the very next song on this album serves to disprove that. It's a somewhat slow, bluesy, organ-heavy track. Adam is very reserved in his delivery of the vocal here, but it's a wonderful performance, maybe his best on the album. Adam and the band had to do many, many takes of this song and they just couldn't get any good takes. And Adam sang the take that's on the album sitting in the corner after many bad takes. Uh, Normally singers stand or or at the very least will sit on a stool or something, but I guess he was kind of curled up in the corner singing this take actually.
1: I stay at home with my disease. I ain't this position familiar, darling? Well, I'm mother- okay
0: Adam mentions a uh, specific street corner, Virginia and La Loma, which is where he lived before he became more famous, and uh, he had to move because fans figured out where he lived and they camped out outside his house. Uh, Here's another song um, where Adam's motif of colors comes up. He often uses colors to, I think, give the mental picture... Uh, a little more vividness, because there's perfect blue buildings, there's green, apple sea, and the oblivion, uh, black. So um, he he writes again about insomnia here. It's 4.30 a.m. on a Tuesday, doesn't get much worse than this. Uh, this song seems to serve as a foil to Mr. Jones. Later in the lyrics, he writes about having bones beneath his skin, and there's a dead man that's trying to get out. He's not the happy-go-lucky guy from Mr. Jones. Uh, He's got a secret depressed guy living inside of him. So uh, I think that this song is um, referring to like hard drug use and chasing a little oblivion and trying to get away from oneself and uh, trying to stay awake maybe uh, if one was having an overdose or something like that. The next one is Anna Begins. is not much happier than Perfect Blue Buildings. Uh, Just a tad of country influence in the guitar, which is where uh, Dave played um, in the country scene before Counting Crows. So once in a while, he has a little country influence to Counting Crows. Like earlier tracks, the drums take a bit of a backseat and the low toms and the bass kind of carry the groove of the song with a snappy snare and hi-hat. The guitars work sort of sporadically, uh, which would become, I think, the signature sound of Counting Crows, where they're kind of back and forth and left and right and a little sporadic.
1: Wrap her up in a package of lies, send her off to a coconut island. I am not worried, I am not overly concerned with the status of my emotions, all.
0: The piano comes in uh, with the chorus and then the song becomes a little more uplifting. Lyrically, this song has the narrator meeting a new woman. Perhaps Anna is the first girlfriend since Maria died. The narrator is resisting the idea that they're falling in love with Anna, saying, I'm not ready for this sort of thing. The motif of insomnia is back, because I don't get no sleep in a quiet room, and she's talking in her sleep, and it's keeping me awake. I like the changes in the lines, and Anna begins in each chorus, and how their kindness towards each other washes them clean of their past but in the end it seems like anna's kindness just serves to help them the narrator move past maria's death because it chases them away and anna disappears Her time and time again has another somber beginning low guitar here with quiet Hammond organ and uh, Adam's vocal has uh, some nice reverb to it
1: I want it so bad Somebody other than
0: me. The drums and bass have a very consistent uh, tone and style throughout the album so far. Uh, it's just kind of more of the same
1: here.
0: This song just has a nice warm. Well rounded sound like Omaha. In fact, the lyrics make a slight callback, and, uh, and I'll walk on water every chance I get, with a little laugh from Adam, uh, which is kind of calls back to the uh, the lyrics in Omaha where he said, Mister, if you're going to walk on water, then you're only going to walk all over me.
1: Walking away from me without the-
0: So without Anna and without Maria, the narrator here, I think, feels lonely and struggling to find any happiness. have Rain King. Uh, This is the first upbeat song that we've had for a while, but I uh, think the Rain King is literally the king of like crying or sadness. Um, This is a really nice, very much needed upbeat song uh, in the album. They have pretty much locked into their style at this point, and I don't think I could say much here that I haven't already said. Uh, It's an upbeat song with a sort of depressing lyrics if you take a closer look. Next. Sullivan Street, more laid back. Nice piano and big reverb on the vocal, which is weird uh, considering that his uh, vocal effects have been pretty dry so far.
1: Take the way home Leads back to Sullivan Street Cross the water
0: It's nice and slow Uh, Not quite so depressing But it's another Adam meets a girl And then they break up song Uh, So you better get used to that Because there's a lot of these Ghost Train, this song is a little more bluesy, which is cool um, but it's much more the same of their other songs that we've had so far the the organ and the drums seem a little more involved but uh, this one isn't really a standout for me <laughs> So uh, one neat little note right there is the lyric Between the Buried and Me is the uh, inspiration for the band Between the Buried and Me that would come on later on. And then we have Raining in Baltimore, which is one of the first kind of interesting uh, ones here for a few now in a row.
1: The circus is fallen down on its knees. Big top is crumbling down. It's raining in Baltimore, 50 miles east, where you should be. No one's around.
0: So apparently Adam was born in Baltimore, and this song um, was written by Adam for Bonnie Raitt, actually, originally. And uh, they had been working on the title track, August and Everything After. So that was going to be a song title on the album, and both would share the name. Uh, But Adam admits that that song was not really very good, uh, and Raining in Baltimore was. So they ended up dropping August and Everything After from the album in favor of this song. But uh, Adam wrote some of the lyrics to that original song down, and that ended up being the cover to the album August and Everything After. So the, the reason that the um, August and Everything After was kind of bombed in the studio was that Adam admitted that he wasn't uh, very good at keeping the piano playing together for the length of the song. It was a long song. It was piano heavy, and he was the one playing. Um, and he was frustrated, and the producer was frustrated. So on a break, he decided to uh, work on a song called Raining in Baltimore, uh, and then the producer walked in and said, Well, that other song wasn't working out, and this one's going on the record. And so I did some more digging on uh, YouTube, looking around for um, the title track, August and everything after. And I found a few comments um, that were kind of interesting. I'm just going to read them to you. <coughs> this one was by a user, Fall North. There's a convoluted story with this song. Basically, they were trying in the studio to get a version, and they weren't happy with, and they couldn't. And the producer left the room in frustration, and Durritt stuck on Raining in Baltimore to let someone hear a song he'd apparently been wait, wanting to give to Bonnie Raitt. People came back, including the producer, and said, that's great, we'll use that instead. So this song was then left off the album it was named after. They apparently lost the song and forgot how it went until somehow uh, someone who was related to someone who worked in the studio was given a recording and, uh, that he'd had laying around to a relative of his that was a fan. And then he gave a copy back to the Counting Crows, who have since played it a couple of times, but unfortunately never put it on a proper record. It's a great song. It should be added to the CD re-releases. And then, um one note is that here very many years later, Counting Crows has actually put that song down and uh recorded it uh It was an Amazon exclusive, and I'd heard bits and pieces of it, but I didn't really feel like paying Amazon for the right uh, to to listen to that song, so I just kind of didn't <laughs> didn't look up the the new fully polished studio version of the song, but There was another user who uh, claims to be the person that was actually involved in getting this tape, uh, this recording back to Adam. Uh, It was user Ashley Spate, maybe? Spite? Spate? Um, If anyone remembers the story behind Adam relearning the song, I'm the person who had the only recording and went to a show in San Francisco to give a copy to Graham Colton. He opened for them and I stuck around in the lobby when the show ended to see if I could run into anyone who could pass it along. Graham gave it to Adam and said, we were just talking about this song. I said, I know, I've been the one online in the chat room or whatever it was talking about it. I sat down and hand wrote all of these darn lyrics to post online to prove that I had a copy. Adam played it the next night. I was then invited by a friend of Adam's to go to their third show in San Francisco, and we went backstage, and I got to tell Adam that I was the one who had the lost song. My uncle worked on Recovering the Satellites, and he found it one day and said, Hey, Ash, I figured you'd like these songs uh, we recorded that we never made it to the album. That was just uh, an interesting story about how this this album kind of came to, or this song sort of came to be uh, over the other one. So the other lyrics that are in um, raining in Baltimore, the the circus pops up again here at the beginning. Uh, This song is largely a piano and accordion piece, so a little change of pace from the rest of the album. Uh, There's still that kind of rise and fall dynamic range that we heard in other songs. I think he writes about the raincoat as a connection to the Rain King, maybe. Uh, to get some protection from all the crying or all the sadness or whatever. But uh, anyway, the album's almost over. song is a murder of one a play on the phrase a murder of crows which is what a group of crows is called a murder this is a great album closer i think it's more upbeat it sounds uh, almost hopeful at some point he mentions counting crows and it's like the peewee herman's word of the day like he did it he said the thing Um, Adam is kind of a fan of including the namesake of things into his songs, like subsequent albums have lyrics that include the name of the album or the the song Uh, there's a song that's titled for the name of the album anyway, this song kind of combines the upbeat and the sad stuff and the well-rounded tone of uh, the other songs that I've liked and it's kind of like, here's a little bit of all the things that you've just heard and we really hope that you like Counting Crows Y onda. One other interesting thing that um, I find is that when Counting Crows plays these songs and, and then later other songs live, that they uh, launch into like improv a lot where they, they do custom versions of their songs live uh, where Adam will lead the band into these like amalgamations of, of other songs and other Counting Crows songs and cover songs and things that are all kind of together. And sometimes they use alternate lyrics, um, but most of the the live versions of songs are like totally different from the studio versions. Uh, one of my favorite, like uh, live custom versions of one of these is uh, around here from uh, the across a wire live album. And the reason that I like it so much is it's, uh it's kind of a toned down, like simplified version around here where it's just, Well, it's just the guitar, and it's just Adam and singing a little bit different lyrics from the original, and uh, it's really neat to hear maybe how that song could have gone a little differently. Um, But I think it kind of stems from that idea that Adam had been doing around here in different bands, the Himalayans, and he'd been singing it and performing it before Counting Crows. That kind of drives this idea that they now do different kinda almost I want to say like folklore versions of their songs where, you know, like if a folklore story got passed on the, the details would get changed from person to person and I I just think it's neat um, that they that they do that. You get something a little different, maybe even a surprise if you go see Ken and Crow's live.
1: the front door like a ghost into the fog where no one notices the contrast of way on weight, And in between the moon and you, and the angels get a better view of the crumbling difference between wrong and right. Well I walk in the air between the rain through myself and back again where says she's dying through the door I hear
0: her crying why here we always stand okay next up we have Recovering the Satellites which was um, released in 1996 this is the second album um This one is mostly about coming to grips with fame. Um, Most critics called Adam kind of a complainer or a whiner. He writes about what's going on in his life. That's what was going on at the time, so uh, this is is what the record's about. This record was sometimes called Mopey, um, but I think that Adam kind of captures that, um, like I was talking about, the post-teenage angst kind of feeling earlier and talking about serious mental issues um people were uh some critics were kind of writing off um what I think Adam was writing about was more serious than they than they wanted it to uh to be cuz I think everybody wanted to think that he was some kind of whiner uh that he didn't like becoming rich and famous and everybody was kind of mad like how dare you you know not like those things but I think Adam was mostly writing about serious, um, heartbreaking stuff here. This album is definitely darker than the first one. Um, It was recorded in a big mansion called Artemisia, which they rented to uh, basically fit uh, a recording studio into, and that was how they recorded the album. The band bought all of the recording equipment, like all the microphones and everything, Uh, Pro Tools was involved, but the record was mostly done on tape because Pro Tools was still kind of in its infancy. This album is uh, distinctly more uh, rock and heavy than the previous album, uh, especially in the opening songs here. Um, But this album just doesn't resonate with me as much as the first and the third one do. Um, I think part of the reason for that is that um, I'm not really into this album until like the fourth song. And also, I remember listening to the first and the third album with my mom a lot on drives to school and stuff, but I'm not sure that she had this one, so I don't know if I grew up listening to this one. I don't remember it. I'm not going to talk about production a whole lot. There's a really good uh, Produce Like a Pro video by Warren Hewitt on YouTube that covers this, where he talks to engineer Bradley Cook, and they cover... Uh, handful of songs, and talk about uh, microphone selections and um, some of what went into engineering the record. So my interest in earnest about this album doesn't really start till track four, uh, which is I'm Not Sleeping, um, and I think that that could have been the album opener, at least to me. Um, Sounds like a a good album opener. Although I do like this little guitar blip at the end of the first song catapult, because it sounds like the Mario death sound. So the first three songs are fine, but, um, I need to cut content out of this somewhere or else this is going to turn into like a three hour episode. So, um, I I really want to talk about the third album a lot, so I'm just going to skip straight to track four here. Track four is I'm Not Sleeping. Uh, The slow beginning with the buildup with the string section is why I think this song could have been the opener. Um, It's a super, super dry vocal with like no reverb or effects. Um, It was recorded on a Neumann U47 in a completely dead carpeted room. She comes to me at night when I'm sleeping.
1: She comes to me
0: when I'm alone. This vocal take reminds me why Adam is uh, such a good singer, although sometimes I think he gets away from himself a little bit. Um, I think that he's a little headstrong about his uh, sound, and normally I would say, like, a good producer would be able to uh, work with a singer to get them reined back in and what what makes a good take and what doesn't but i think adam probably wouldn't respond to that very well given my limited understanding of of how he works anyway but this is uh this is a good adam vocal song so if you like his voice and like his singing this is this is definitely one for you she comes to me she holds my hand when i'm
1: comes to me she shuts my eyes she brings me home but i'm not sleeping
0: Adam woke up the engineer in the middle of the night uh, about 3 a.m. to record this song, and it was done in about three takes. Um, The engineer basically had a deal, said, hey, if you're ever feeling inspired or if you ever have anything cross your mind you want to do, wake me up anytime, because they were all living in this mansion and recording the album every day. So uh, Adam got him up in the middle of the night to sing. So I guess don't make promises like that if you don't want to get up and record at 3 in the morning. So the string section is really great, and it lets you know that they got some budget for this album since the first one did so well. Uh, the drums kind of have this marching band rhythm and are mostly in the background, like we've heard before. So the strings and the vocal take center stage here. It seems like a lot of rock bands in the 90s like suddenly discovered string sections for some reason. But I think that these work really wonderfully here. Other than that, it's the same Counting Crows formula, bass, and hard-panned guitars and drums uh, and the Hammond organ. Lyrically, we see the common theme of not sleeping again, obviously, but this time it seems like the lyrics are less about not being able to sleep and more about coming out of a sleep to a realization. There's a little story here, too, about the narrator sleeping with another woman that tells him secrets about his girlfriend and... Uh, the uh, or his other love interest I guess this seems to go south as later the narrator says I've been through all this shit before and I ain't all that innocent anymore uh, the line about not being so innocent anymore sounds to me like Adam writing about coming uh, into sudden stardom and his dislike of it perhaps something like this really happened to him uh, as he did date a few famous actresses Near the end, though, Adam was uh, jumping in the recording booth singing No, 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 which you can hear right here. Okay, and then right after that one is Goodnight, Elizabeth this starts off with a snapping count that leads into the song and has an entirely different energy from I'm not sleeping although I think it's funny that Adam isn't sleeping but then he's saying goodnight to someone else here Another killer vocal take by Adam. Uh, I feel like the drums are a bit more involved. There's sporadic tremelo guitars and piano. Nice warm sound, as we've become accustomed to by now. I just wanted to say what adam had to say about this song the road gives a lot to you and this whole business gives a lot to you but it takes away too i lost things that were really important to me things that i thought would be with me my whole life what do i have for myself from that period i have a bunch of money i have songs about periods in my life that are gone now like i have good night elizabeth but elizabeth just got married two weeks ago to somebody else so that's that's gone And that's gone because I was gone all the time and not like doing anything wrong. Not that I cheated on her ever, but it's gone. And you know, that goes on and, and it's not, it's not heaven. The reason I said goodnight instead of goodbye is because I wanted it to be a lullaby, something that she could remember it us by. It's a little sordid that song in places because I wanted to be honest about it too, I knew what I was going to do after I lost her. I knew that I would go out there and I would sleep with people. I would do anything to stop myself from thinking about her in the middle of the night. Where she was with some other guy or something, it's like it says, I'll wait for you in Baton Rouge and I'll miss you down in New Orleans. I'll wait for you while that girl takes her clothes off and I'll wait for you while we're having sex and I'll miss you. But I'm still going to do that. That last verse is about that. difference between me and her you can wrap yourself in daffodils me the not i am i'll wrap myself in pain and mope about it all day long but you're you and i'm the king of the rain and that last thing that he said is in the lyrics the king of the rain which is a callback to the song the rain king from the previous album
1: if you wrap yourself Yeah
0: And the next song I want to talk about is a couple of tracks down. It's called Another Horse Dreamer's Blues. (laughs) I almost left this one off, but I keep going back to this track. Um, because I just think it's so interesting, so I have to include it. This is a fascinating song. The usual Counting Crows sound is here with the nice strings that I love that come and go. But the lyrics are really killer to me. It's about a girl named Marjorie that's obsessed with horse racing, of all things. But it's also her using that to get away from her problems. I can't think of another song that deals with serious mental illness and horse racing, so what more could you want? Adam uses a little bit of actual horse racing jargon here, and admittedly this is something I know nothing about, but the lyrics go, teary to win and perfect dozen to place, and also the money is the matter that's been on her mind. So I wonder what could she need the money for? Is she trying to get a big payday so she can, like, move away from all of her problems? Uh, I don't know. It's not very clear. Adam's use of colors are back, looking at a green sky, sun like a red eye. Bright blue horses are the fortune she lives by. The lyrics also say that Marjorie is tired and lonely and scared and depressed. Is she obsessed with the horses because she wants to run away from her problems as fast as a horse? Or perhaps she's having like visions of running free like a wild horse in a field. Uh, But she also is uh, trying to be a good girl and give them what they want. I find it interesting that at one point the lyrics go, Margie doesn't say anything all the way home. And later her drunken father and stupid mother are mentioned. And I can't help but think that Margie is like a kid nickname, the kind that you hate that your parents won't ever drop even after you're an adult. So it's like the three of them are stuck in a car on the way home and they're calling her Margie and she's dreaming of horse racing and dreaming of horses like maybe a kid that is just staring out the window and imagining there's something running down the side of the road next to the car like a horse. And that's what she's dreaming about while her parents that she doesn't like are calling her Margie and she's trying to not think about them
1: out of green sky.
0: Evidently, she keeps using horse racing to try to solve her problems, uh, to try to get enough money, perhaps, to move away from her parents and be dependent or independent, I should say. Um, I don't know. It's a weird song, and it mashes ideas together in such a strange and unique way, but I love it. Try to hit the big one. So the rest of this album is pretty good and the the big hit off this album is A Long December which uh, I'll just play a little bit of it now. A long December And there's reason
1: to believe Maybe this year will be better than the last I can't remember The last thing that she said As you were leaving The days go by so fast And it's one more day up in the canyon And it's one more night in Hollywood If you think that I could be forgiven
0: I wish you were But... But like I said before, uh, this album just doesn't resonate with me quite as much, although I have found that in the research and listening phase of this project that I have come to appreciate it a lot more than I did when I uh, first started recording and uh, thinking up ideas for this episode. But um, I am looking for places to cut this down, and I really want to talk about this desert life, so I'm going to do that now. All right, the third and last album that I'm going to talk about today is This Desert Life, which came out in 1999. This is an album about confusion and change. Uh, It's more mature and grounded. Um, It's a real culmination of the first two albums and the experience of uh, songwriting and performing, I think, all come together here. I remember falling in love with this album all over again when I was in college. There's big parts of this album that come from the headspace of being a 20-something and trying to figure out who you are and where you're going and what you want out of life. And I think that Counting Crows kind of, there's a lot of themes of that in Adam's lyrics. And But um, this album, there's also some themes that deal with loss, and I think that People don't start experiencing big personal losses, uh, you know, on average, like big personal losses, like family deaths, until their late teens or or 20s. I know my 20s are almost over, and it's been a hell of a ride these last 10 years, but uh, I remember when I was in college, I introduced my then-girlfriend to Counting Crows with this album, and I'll never forget that awe-inspired look in her eyes. I think it was the idea of being out on your own and not hanging around this town anymore and uh, getting out to the desert just to lie beneath the stars and that energy of young people that haven't been weighed down with sorrows yet. But then this album covers sorrows too. I've revisited this album many times in my life and it feels different each time. It feels like I connect to a different piece of it in a way that I didn't before. When I was a kid, my mom had this album and we listened to it all the time whenever she drove me anywhere, especially to school in the morning. But I remembered loving the first couple of songs because that was all we really had time for on a short drive like that. But then later, I remember pulling this album back out at about 21 and thinking about all the parts in Mrs. Potter's Lullaby and thinking about how great it would be to get out of this town and go be kings in the desert. I really felt that energy resonate, and I was listening to other songs like it and wondering about all the things that I could be when I got out of college. I thought about the group of people that I was hanging around with, um, and I thought that they would be close to me forever and that we'd all be genius millionaires or something. But when I graduated college, I didn't really have anything except for my family and some lifelong friends that I'd known since I was in high school or before. Uh, most of the people I knew in college, I don't know now. I know a few of them that are are still close and near and dear to my heart, but um, I was around a, a big group of people. I mean, there were people that lived in my building, and there were people I went to classes with, and know, the big majority of them I don't know anymore. So when I got out of college, I knew how to mix music, but I couldn't get a job doing it. So I moved back home, and I broke up with my girlfriend, and I settled for a factory job. And I did start buying equipment, though, uh, and that early 20s energy thing wasn't totally dead. I started making connections with other audio people in my area, but then harder things started happening. Um, From 2015 to 2019, I lost a brother, two aunts, a handful of good friends, my remaining grandparents, and my dad. A lot of my friends were losing family too, and loss began to feel like an old uninvited friend. When my dad died, I dug out This Desert Life again, and the words from Mrs. Potter's Lullaby started hitting me in different ways. And while I really want to talk about Mrs. Potter, that's not the first track on the album, so let's talk about Hanging Around. So at the very beginning of Hanging Around, I'm not sure what that bubbly noise is, and you can faintly hear somebody's voice, and then the drums go bang in a way that we really haven't heard from Counting Crows uh, up until now. The drums sound really natural, too, like that big ring in the snare. Like Most engineers would have tried to de-ring that snare, but here it fits really well to the style of the music and then the guitars are huge too and the kick drum thuds loudly uh the guitars have this nice growl to them that i really like and adam's vocal is largely dry here but with supporting va- backing vocals uh the bass and the guitar tones are nice and warm and the piano sneaks in too sometimes she
1: sat right down so
0: I think Adam's voice has a bit of distortion on it at times to help it cut through. Uh, This song is pretty loud, so a voice like his might need to uh, have a little distortion or have a little help to make it cut through the mix. This song has some dynamic range to it, though. It gets bigger and then smaller. Um, I really like the section near the end where the acoustic guitars come in.
1: Where have you been? I've been lying right here on the floor. To be waiting for what is what I am after the is this town on the corner I've been bumming around this old town so long.
0: and then my favorite part of this song and it has been ever since i was a little kid is the super heavy distorted snare fill that blasts out of the right speaker at about 258
2: on the been, around old been around this town, on the been around this
0: old town for way too town way too long. Been it really brings all that energy back to the song, along with uh, Adam's rising vocal energy. And then elements of the song start dropping out till it's just piano and singers and claps. And then there's like a crowd of applause that spills over into the next track Mrs. Potter's Lullaby. As a kid and a teenager, I liked this song because it was just a good rocker of a song, but then as I became a young man, I started to connect with that uh, idea of I need to get the hell out of here as kind of an anthem. Okay, Mrs. Potter's Lullaby is definitely my favorite Counting Crows song, um, and it's it, it's one of my favorite songs maybe ever by any artist. Um I just I connect with it in a in a weird kind of way that it just has stuck with me like all my life um, so like I said the first track kind of carries over into this one which I always like those like really smooth transitions so let's listen to that transition real quick So then we get a nice piano and bass intro with some strings and the uh, drums that follow shortly after. Adam's voice has some verb on it this time, I think. The drums are mostly a snare pattern, no real fills to speak of, just keeping time, basically. The guitars come on uh, hard-panned, of course, like we've seen before, and I think they help push the idea of the Circus being a little out of control because they just kind of get sort of loud and twangy at the edges of the stereoscope.
1: We well, woke up in mid afternoon because that's when it all hurts the most. A dream I'll never know anyone at the park.
0: I like the acoustic that comes in when he mentions Maria that reminds me of round here.
1: There's a piece of. Maria in I and the price of a memory is the memory of the sorrow.
0: It so I think this is the best song they've ever recorded, and I think it's Adam's best work lyrically. Apparently the namesake for this song is actress Monica Potter, but I think that Mrs. Potter is Maria's mother. I think that this song is about the aftermath of Maria's death and the narrator trying to console Maria's mother, but also explore their own feelings and soul-searching. But I really connected with the lyrics about getting out to the desert when I was younger, and now I'm connecting to it a lot more with the lyrics that deal with pain and loss. When my dad passed away, I was finding myself listening to this song a lot. So I'm just gonna read you some of the lyrics that really resonated with me. Well, I woke up in mid-afternoon, because that's when it all hurts the most. And with all the people I was having to meet and um thinking of my dad nonstop, I was having a lot of dreams too. Um so the line I dream, I never know anyone at the party, but I'm always the host. And if dreams are like movies, then memories are films about ghosts. You can never escape, you can only move south down the coast. And I was waking up in the afternoon a lot because I'd stayed up late the night before, um, trying to get things done. Um, handling an estate by yourself is kind of a an undertaking. And I wasn't totally by myself. I had my girlfriend at the time and I had a lot of family and I had some really good friends that came out and helped me go through things. But, um, there were a lot of nights where I was just out there by myself and trying to dig through stuff and to get things organized and to get all that stuff ready to be moved out. And, um, So yeah, I was was having a lot of late nights and found myself waking up in the the afternoon, and that's when it all hurt the most. So I really started to realize that these lyrics were about loss and heartache and trying to move on from that and not slip into the places that you could easily slip into when you're dealing with hard things. Some other lyrics that I really like that I connected with were If you've never stared off into the distance, then your life is a shame. And though I'll never forget your face, sometimes I can't remember my name. And and the part where he mentions Maria is, Well, there's a piece of Maria in every song that I sing. And the price of a memory is the memory of the sorrow it brings. And there's always one last light to turn out and one last bell to ring. And the last one out of the circus has to lock up everything. And then later on in the song, he says, well, you can see a million miles tonight, but you can't get very far. So yeah, I started to understand the circus motif a little better about the chaos that life can bring and how things seem to get out of control so easily. Um, dealing with an estate and cleaning out a house and going through thousands and thousands of items and personal belongings certainly felt like a circus where all the elephants had gotten out. And thinking about my dad to this day even, or my brother, or the other people that I've lost, reminds me that the price of a memory is the memory of the sorrow too. Like sometimes these memories are bittersweet now because... but sometimes they aren't. I think it's one of those things that if you've been there, you've been there. And I do want to make one quick note that I keep talking about my brother, and my brother was actually my brother-in-law. It was my sister's first husband, uh, but when he passed away, there was no doubt uh, to anybody anywhere that Jason was my brother, and there was no two ways about it. So I've always called him my brother, and if uh, if there was any confusion about about that i I do have another actual brother, but um but yeah, Jason was my brother, and there that's just all there is to that. I also think it's interesting that Mrs. Potter's lullaby um has the lyric films about ghosts, which is also um the title of their greatest hits album, which leads me to believe that this song is very important to Adam and the band. so yeah, these lyrics really spoke to me. You can call Adam whiny and self-absorbed all you want, but I think his writing about pain and loss just speak to me in a way that no other songwriter ever has done. I just feel really connected to what he's saying and if that makes any sense. Um, My friend Jeebs often talks about the soundtrack of your life, which is a phrase that really resonated with me because this album has been with me in many different walks of my life. It's in my soundtrack of life from uh, clear and distinct periods, and it means something a little different in each one. And it seems like whenever I'm going through tough times, I always gravitate back towards Counting Crows. Like, not even consciously, really. It's not like sad time music that I choose to put on, but somehow I keep finding myself needing to dig their stuff out and listen and feel what Adam felt. And yeah, it's super depressing, but somehow I think it'll help me move on. Anyway, I think it's a shame that Counting Crows is mostly known for Mr. Jones and Accidentally in Love from Shrek 2 and their cover of Joni Mitchell's Big Yellow Taxi. I think Adam Duritz is one of the most gifted lyricists maybe ever, but certainly one of the best of the of uh, American artists in the last 30 years or so. There's
1: always one last light turn out in one last bell in the rain And the last one out of the circus has to lock up everything Or the elephants will get out and forget to remember what you said Oh and the ghosts of the to world We'll spend there forever instead When I see you, a blanket of stars Covers me in my bed yeah. Hey, Mrs. Potter, don't go I said, hey, Mrs. Potter They color my mind when I sleep. And the love sick rejections that accompany the company I
2: keep. All the razor perceptions that cut
0: okay, so that was a lot. Um well we've still got most of an album here to talk about. The next track is Amy hit the atmosphere. This is a good song uh, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. It has a lot of the same feelings as uh, hanging around and wanting to get out of a place and watching somebody else become successful and catch a rocket ride out of this town.
1: Amy hit the atmosphere Caught herself a rocket ride out of this gutter and she's never coming back, I fear. And anytime it rains, she just feels a lot better. And that's all that really matters to me. We've waited so long.
0: Similarly, the next track, Four Days, Um I'm also not going to spend very much time on this. But I really like the rich, scratchy guitar in this one, and it's a lot of fun to sing. I gotta give it that. Okay, here's the next one I'm going to stop and talk about for a minute. All My Friends. This is another big favorite of mine from this album, and it gets harder to listen to the older I get because the closer I get to the age of 33 that Adam sings about here, the more I relate to what he's saying.
1: Thought I might get a rocket ride When I was a child But it was a lie That I told myself when I needed something good 17 had a better dream And now I'm 33 And it isn't me But I think of something better If I
0: As far as production goes, this is pretty standard for Counting Crows, so there's really not much I can say about that that I haven't already. There's a nice string section in this song that balances nicely with the guitars, I really feel like. Sometimes the piano dips out and then comes back in a little harder. Um, Adam's vocal sounds pretty dry to me. The drums seem to have more cymbals maybe involved in this song compared to others. But the longer this song goes on, the more I am impressed with the vocal take. I think this is up there for uh, best performances for Adam and from the the band in general, really. Uh, The guitar work is a little more layered and intricate, and every time the strings come in, it's very nice.
1: One way or another I just wish I had known To go out walking in the sun
0: So the lyrics here speak to me a lot, again, because right off the bat, Adam writes about getting a rocket ride, which is a callback to Amy, Hit the Atmosphere. And all of the feelings of being a kid and imagining all the things that you could be or will do one day. Especially when I was young, my dad hammered into me that I was going to go out in the world and do great things. He didn't know what, but he had a lot of faith in me that I was really going to be somebody important one day. That I wouldn't end up working in a factory all my life like he had. So I spent the better part of my formative years being praised for being smart and doing well in school and being a good kid. It seemed like I had all the ingredients to be somebody like my dad wanted, but now I'm almost 30, and like Adam said, it isn't me. I'd be something better if I could, one way or another, I'm just hoping to find a way to put my feet out in the world. He writes about all his friends and lovers moving on with their lives and being successful, and Adam was very successful, but not in the ways that he thought he would be. He was jealous of other people finding love and building lives, and he felt stuck and not being able to do those things. It's hard to come to grips in your 20s when you see other people have what you want. Like Sometimes you have what they want, and it's hard to feel good about what you have when you feel like you don't ever have what you need. Adam writes about imagining that there's somebody out there waiting for someone like him All the fame and money, and he just wants somebody to want him just the way he is. But his life and his work seem to prevent him from making those kind of connections. So the song wraps up by him saying that all my friends and lovers, they shine like the sun. He admires what they have and what they have accomplished. And then I'm not coming undone. I'm just waiting for the day. So I feel that in a big way sometimes. It's such a strange feeling thinking that you should have X, Y, Z by this point in your life. Or watching other people be happy and successful in the ways that you wish you could be. Uh, At some point, you might ask yourself, like, what the hell am I doing at this point? Where should I be going? What's the goal here? And that's okay. It's okay to just wait for the day to come. Sometimes it's all you can do. So the next track is High Life. Uh, not a lot to say about this one either. It's a nice song with really great strings. Um, just sit back and listen; it's very pleasant. I think that um, there's big parts of the lyrics that sound uh, improved to me, as Adam is kind of like to do. And um, this desert life is mentioned uh, somewhere in the song as a nod to the the title of the album itself.
1: Tell you How I get my ends And my beginnings mixed up too Just the way you do I thought if I told you You might want to stay For just another day Or two It's just like answers that come
0: The next one is Colorblind, which is maybe the most well-known song from this album, as it was used in a couple of film scores. It's a slow, piano-centric piece. Uh, We finally see Adam's use of colors come back with Coffee Black and Egg White. There seems to be a lot of speculation about what this song means online, but it mostly seems to be about coming to grips with struggles, putting on a mask, and telling everyone you're fine when you're not.
1: Color blind coffee black and egg white. Pull me out from inside. I am ready. I am.
0: Okay, next up is I Wish I Was a Girl. This song kind of sounds crunchy and over-compressed to me, and that's kind of odd for Counting Crows, but there's parts of this song that just sound too loud to me, but whatever. Lyrically, this has a lot of callbacks. Adam's writing to Elizabeth again, and he talks about not sleeping again. Adam says this song is about having dreams, about jumping off buildings into traffic, uh, but in a slow-motion sort of way where you're not sure if you're like flying or falling. Uh, The lyrics, the devil's in the dreaming. You see yourself descending from a building to the ground. You watch the sky receding. You spin to see the traffic rising up, and it's so quiet you're surprised, and then you wake up. Maybe he had a lot of dreams like this. I'm not sure. Uh, But he also wrote that I wish I was a girl was simply to say that he thought he'd be better at communicating uh, with Elizabeth if they were both women he also wants Elizabeth to know that he's doing alright these days but Adam points out that he still can't sleep at night so maybe he's lying to himself and maybe he's lying to Elizabeth about doing alright these days too I
1: wish I was a girl Every time I try to sleep, I wish for all the world that I could say, Hey, Elizabeth, you know, I'm doing all right these days.
0: Then we have Speedway.
1: so nervous,
0: I'm shaking um, it's just another warm jam tremelo guitar type thing not much to say about this one and then we have St. Robinson and his Cadillac Dream which is the last track on the album <laughs> I don't really have a lot to say about this one either, but it sounds unique. A lot of nice layers, and it's plenty dynamic. Um, this is a great closer to the album. And I
1: was born on the shores of the Chesapeake Bay, Maryland and Virginia have faded away. And I keep thinking tomorrow is coming Day, so I am endlessly waiting And the comet is coming between me and the bird
0: or so you thought, there's a hidden track at the end of this one. Remember when bands used to do that? Um, It's where there's like enough silence, usually a minute or two, to make you think the album is over. Just when you're about to change it out for something else, here comes another song. This hidden track is called Kid Things. It starts off with the band just goofing around, but then it turns into an actual song.
2: (laughs) I'm leaving the lunar module. Good morning, it's your Luter 520 wake up call. Now. Have a great day in Nashville. Here we go! Here we go! That's one small step for a man, one journey for Maker.
0: It sounds a little less polished maybe than the rest of the album, but it's kind of a fun tune with some weird flangy, phasey stuff going on. And then the song wraps up with kind of a tape loop noise and then the band goofing around again with a Houston to ground control style thing between Adam and the engineer. Um, just a lot of funny things and lots of laughing. And there's actually one more song from this recording session called Baby I'm a Big Star Now which Counting Crows has never officially released. Um, it's got a different vibe with some like sci-fi-like synths. I guess it was the B-side to the Hanging Around single, and it was featured at the end of the film Rounders. But you'll have to go on YouTube to find this one. It's not on any of their official releases. Anyway, thanks for listening to my rants about Counting Crows and the soundtrack of my life. If you really haven't listened to Counting Crows before, definitely look them up and give each song a chance, uh, especially from these first three albums. Maybe you'll find your own meaning in the lyrics. And uh, 2021 is the 25th year anniversary of Recovering the Satellites, and they even have a new EP out with the promise of a second EP out soon uh, that will make a full album when combined. So if this has been your jam, then tune in next time for another episode of Michael's Mixdown, and I'll keep making waves in here. You guys keep making waves out there. We'll catch you next time. Hey, kid, if you're still listening to this, you found the Michael's Mixed Down secret track. You don't have anything, like, better to do? I mean, you've been listening to this for, like, I don't know, like, over an hour. You should probably, like, do something to jazz yourself up. That was kind of a big downer episode. Uh... You could like go outside. Uh, but what if it's raining? You could, um, you could like listen to, um, Bo Burnham's new special. Wait, that's, um, that's sad too. Uh, sh- um, Well, um, you could follow me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Michael's Mixdown if you wanted to, uh, maybe find, uh, my TikToks on any of those places. And, uh, yeah, secret track time is about over. So, it's been cool hanging out with you in secret track time, but it's time to go do something else now. Bye-bye.